0: everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Social Work Radio with me, your host Vince Piat Once again, I'm joined by my glamorous co-host Tilly Baden. Tilly, my friend, how the devil are you? How have things been since you were last aboard the good ship SWR? Happy New Year,
1: everyone. Um, first show of 2023. Um, had a um, good Christmas, good New Year, Um had a week off work, um, and now I've gone back to work, and it's a bit chaotic as it always is over winter. But um, yeah, things are things are okay. Christmas and New Year were fairly quiet. Um, I worked quite a lot over over the time. Um, picked up some independent work as well as um, my my. Day job shifts as well because I don't mind working in between Christmas and New Year. I think it's quite a nice time to work, and I like to try and allow the people in my team that have children um, and young families to to have that time off. I don't mind working, so that's why I always have the first week of January off. But now things things are good with me. How about you? How's your Christmas and New Year been?
0: Yeah, good. C- quiet is how I would describe it. I think it's enough. I've, I've got two young children so i'm exactly the kind of person who you were just talking about there that you're allowed to have time off so <laughs> my, my pattern has always been i mean i i even try to do this before i had kids really for as long as i've been a social worker the past 10 years i've always tried to work up until the last day before christmas even if that's christmas eve i've worked a lot of christmas eve and i don't mind it it's all right it's okay um the 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 vibe is usually, as you say, quite decent that time of year, and there's never any meetings or anything taxing, and you are kind of just dealing to you dealing with emergency calls and responding to duty calls, and you when know, you need it, then it's nice to be you know that friendly face and voice on the phone to help people at such a difficult time. I returned Tuesday last week. Last week I, I, I don't know about you, Tilly, when you have a bit of time off, but you know I've had sort of 10, eleven days off and. I always find the first week back, you're on a bit of a go slow. Do you ever get yeah. that after you've had time off? It's like you you just, even if it's only been a week or like a week and a half as it was, with all the best will in the world, I always struggle to motivate myself. I just, I can't get back into it straight away. Do, do you get where I'm coming from?
1: Oh, completely. You've got to get <laughs> your head back in. Yeah. And just even logging onto the system. It's like, yeah. can you remember your password? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Then you've got all those emails and phone calls to respond to and all of the things that you were putting off. And I don't know about you, but I normally say from about beginning of November, oh, that's a new year problem. I think about that in January that I'll put that off to the new year. And then suddenly January is here and you're thinking, right, well, all those tasks that I've put to one side for the moment, I'm actually going to have to do them now. So. It's a bit of a bit of a strange time of year. I think not just for people in social work, but I think all across the board, I suspect most professionals have the same sort of problems. Yeah.
0: The the biggest issue I find is when you've got things that are on a deadline, court time skills. I've got, you know, several assessments that I'm working on at the moment. And I got these early December. And when you get given ten weeks in early December, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna started over Christmas, but you immediately lose those couple of weeks over Christmas. So it it can be problematic because as well as, you know, obviously schools not being available for meetings, lots of people's on holiday. Yeah. You you come back, you want to go slow at the start of January and combined with that, you've got all the things you've kicked down the road. And it's like, it, it can be difficult. And then of course, you've got, Next week, we've got Blue Monday, which is the most depressing day of the entire year. And naturally, you have the winter blues. There's a lot of illnesses going around at the moment, particularly in your, your time line of work. You know, this time of year is uh, very bad in terms of the winter pressures, which we, we don't really get in child protection work, but you guys do. Um, and we are scaring all of our listeners. Let's we should yeah, let's,
1: let's um be uplifting. This isn't Blue Monday. If you are listening on Blue Monday, then our hearts go out to you and try and smile and laugh your way through it.
0: Saying that though, on a positive note, I was out for a walk yesterday and I used to listen to music when I go for a walk, but I don't anymore. But I think it's just nice to, you know, reflect. And I, I, I realised that. The last two years been the best two years I've ever had in social work. It's not that I've had any particularly bad times. You know, I've had, obviously, like anybody, I've had difficult cases. I've had difficult things that I've experienced. I've had some colleagues and professionals that I haven't always had the best of relationships with. I've never really had prolonged, difficult times. or have out, like, obviously, far too many of our colleagues have. But I realise that the last two years have been the best the best times I've had in social work and it's all down to the shift to that homework and being given more autonomy to manage your own diary which happened and it was like it's a shame that it took obviously a global pandemic for that to happen if you I mean we'll probably do a podcast a standalone podcast on this come March because that'll have been two years since lockdown in two months time but have, have you reflected on the past couple of years as a whole, Tillian? you know, whether it's helped your work or hindered it?
1: Oh, massively. I mean, I I can't imagine now going into the office every day. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'd be able to physically get out of bed because something i <laughs> get out of bed like 10 minutes before I start work, just <laughs> yeah. rolling out of um, bed plodding into the well into my kitchen where I work and and that's it turning on the laptop if I had to get up get dressed into work clothes and get commuting and oh no I I couldn't be dealing with that not anymore I don't know how we did it um so massively I mean I I I like the hybrid working I like going into the office a couple of days a week and then working from home the other days I think that's the right balance
0: I don't know about other people. You probably be more more inclined to be able to answer this one given your position, but for me, my productivity's massively increased. So as well as my work life balance improving, I'm able to do more with the time because I don't have that commute time. I don't have the drive in between meetings. I can sit in a core group or care team do it remotely, and then immediately type my minutes up. Well, I can actually sit and type it up as I go along a lot of the time, my minutes. You know, if I go back to five, six years ago, I was sometimes, and sorry for being a bad example, listeners, but I've got to be honest, I'd sometimes be writing last month's core group and care team minutes the day before the next one was coming up. So people would have gone almost a month without having the minutes, whereas now... I'm typing them up as I go along. Obviously, I'm listening to people. But because I'm sat at home on my desk, not you know writing them on paper, my minutes are sometimes sent out to people 15 minutes within the uh, meeting ending. Little things like that. When you add up all those little changes and little improvements to productivity, they result in a massive, massive difference. Do you do you see that amongst your workers though? Because obviously, I don't really see what other social workers are doing but you will in your position have you noticed other workers improving their productivity as well
1: yeah definitely i mean i'm a massive talker in the office i'm a nightmare for distracting other people so i i mean i get so much more done when i'm at home and i think you get that focus time as well where you haven't got any of those external distractions well, um, I, I mean, I suppose it depends on your home situation, but but I know for me, if if I've got something like I don't know some training to write, for example, and I've got to collate my thoughts into a PowerPoint and, and get prepared for something, then I'm so much better at doing that at home than I would be in the office. That it would take me three or four times as long because um, I just would like to talk to people. I think social workers do generally. We, we yeah. we're supposed to be social people and stick a bunch of us in a room together and we're chatterboxes
0: yeah it's it's certainly so I just had that thought you know I just had the thought that you know how how good the last two years have been it's telling that I haven't once thought about leaving my current position with any sort of earnest I know that sounds really bad doesn't it but I think hopefully if people were being honest I'm sure we all occasionally entertain ideas of leaving and going somewhere else. And look, there's been some offers I've kind of been tempted, but the only reason I've been tempted is because places have offered me promotions and places have offered me significant wage rises. But I haven't left because I've been so comfortable and content. And I wonder, and again, you might see this actually, Tilly, I wonder if more people have been like that. More people are inclined to stay where they are because of the change. Or on the flip side, there is an argument that I've seen, particularly in children's services, that people are flitting around a bit more because they are no longer as constrained by location, because some local authorities might say, well, you only need to be in the office two days a week and potentially could even travel to the other side of the country, go up early one morning, stay over one night and come back late the other night. How has it impacted on stability from what you can see in your service?
1: Um, I think from what I've seen, our our general workforce is in chaos at the moment in adult services. Um, I mean, hospital teams, for example, are hemorrhaging staff with the winter pressures. So um, across all different local authorities, we see a lot of... of, um, Workers leaving to become independent workers. Um, I think it's it's a tough time, and cost of living crisis has, has meant that people have reevaluated whether they can stay somewhere mm. cut co- and be comfortable, or whether actually it's better to jump to a, a neighbouring local authority that's perhaps paying more. Or it, it feels very transient our workforce at the moment, certainly um, in the southwest where I am.
0: Yeah, maybe I live in a bit of a more of a bubble now, I suppose, because my my current team is uh, is is quite settled, where I'm a deputy manager and things are things are stable um, and long may it last, because that stability it means it, it means a lot to people. It does make a massive difference. So there's some positivity that you and I and maybe many of our listeners can reflect that for all the ills of obviously the last two years, and you know I've lost people close to me due to COVID, um, it has made a difference in in some ways. And it's just, it's such a shame that it obviously took, it took something like that for our employers and our leaders and our managers to realise, ah, we can make this change. But credit to everybody for accepting it, because there could have easily been a push and said, right, let's get you all back in the office. But thankfully, everybody's seen that it benefits them. Moving on to the topic of today's show. how social work changes you as a person. As many of you guys and yourself Till you have realized it's been a slow week for news. There is traditionally very little news out there um, at this time of year. So usually we tend to sort of reflect on a big news story, but there isn't you know some days we're already publishing one story at the moment because it is it's, it's a quiet it's a quiet time for news when you come back after January particularly in the world of social work. So rather than go over a news story, um, we've chosen a topic for today's podcast which was a very very popular opinion piece on our website over the past week at mysocialworknews.com. And the title of this piece was, I love being a social worker, but I hate what it has done to me. And it really struck a chord with people, Tilly. And lots and lots of people, you know, it's it's been read by tens and tens of thousands of people. It's, you know, it's been probably seen by half a million or so people across social media in terms of uh, the engagement and then... Lots of people have liked and lots of people have commented. It's really struck a chord with people. And most people are saying, yeah, this was me. I feel exactly the same. You know, thank you to the author for discussing this. So I'm just going to jump straight into it, Tilly. Obviously, you've read the piece. Um, How have you changed since becoming a social worker? What has it done to you?
1: Well, I find this really hard to answer because I went into my social work training straight when I left school so for the whole of my adult life I've been a social worker or, or a student social worker and then, then qualified so I mean I've changed massively but then yeah. I don't know how much of that is down to just growing up and, and becoming an adult or whether actually it's social work so it's kind of hard for me to separate the two out but I think it has I mean, it's opened my eyes I don't think any of us imagined the amount of, uh, of hardship, perhaps, that, that you would come across, um, or certainly I didn't, um, before I came a social worker. Um, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't completely naive to things, but it certainly opened my eyes about how much of humanity struggles. And I think it's made me a more compassionate person, I, I mean, I've always been a compassionate person. I mean, I, th- I don't think you should come into social work unless you're, you're that way inclined. But I think I am much more tolerant of people than I was before I became a social worker. Um, things aren't black and white. So there's there's always reasons why people do things. And no matter what people do, I think I've learned to appreciate that, that humanity is a very complex system yeah. and there's a lot of things that make people do different things. So um, you can't blame one, I don't know, you can't blame blame th- things on one factor to, to why people end up the way that they do. Um, so so yeah, that's, that's probably the biggest thing that I've noticed. Um, and I think, well, as well, I think I'm a lot better at making decisions I think social work has taught me how to make a decision um, yeah. in my own life um, I was always quite indecisive I think as a person beforehand whereas when you're faced with making decisions that life-changing decisions on a daily basis or on behalf of people you become very sharp at Yes. Knowing what information to look for, weighing up risks and benefits and and working a, a rational way through and problem solving. So I think that's um, something that social work has taught me as well.
0: Can you pinpoint any, and obviously you don't have to go into detail on this one because they might be personal, they might be confidential. Can you pinpoint any specific moments or events within social work that had a transformative effect immediately or in and of themselves? Were there any sort of sliding doors or crossroads moments where a shock or a change or a new experience, a feeling of elation, a feeling of success, whatever it may be, were there any specific moments that you noticed before and after following them?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. I mean, there are loads of moments, but... I think probably my second day as a qualified social worker in when I worked in children's services, mm. I had to go out and um, support a young person to go into foster care um is a teenager that that had for what for for variety of circumstances needed to leave home and she had already gone to the foster placement and I had to go back to her. her her home and pack Mm. her a bag and I had to go through all of her belongings um, like her underwear drawer and, and makeup and and her wardrobe and and pack her what I thought she might need in this foster care placement and I think it was just one of those moments where I thought gosh, this is the most intrusive thing I think I've ever done. Yeah, yeah. God, imagine
0: that happening to you. Imagine someone doing that.
1: Exactly. And, I mean, I'm only, I only—I was only really a few years older than her, mm. um, and that was probably one of those moments where I thought, it, it really hit me that yeah. actually the amount of responsibility and trust that social workers have... And the amount of, of life changing events that we're going to be involved in, um, so that was a, a really early on moment in my career mm. um, that that I'll never forget. And um, yeah, I, I hope that, that that young that young person's okay. But what about you? What what have your your life changing moments been?
0: Um, I mean, I came into social work when I was twenty nine, so. I was very much the same person I am now. I mean, I'm, I'm a much better version of myself now. But obviously, between 29 and 39, your outlook on life doesn't change drastically. You obviously become more mature. You become more sensible. You you get more responsibilities in life, which humble you and calm you down, and so on. You you develop as a person, but. In terms of significant changes, certainly there weren't as many changes between 21 and 31. There were a lot more changes between (laughs) 21 and 31 than there were for me between 29 and 39. Um, There there are certainly things that have happened to me that have significantly changed me as a social worker. Definitely. Definitely. You know there there is certain tragedies that I've gone through certain experiences that I've gone through certain eureka moments that I've gone through that have changed me as a social worker in terms of specific moments I've asked you that question I really should have had an answer for myself before I asked you it
1: you knew I was come back to you and asking you the Oh same no question.
0: I did but hey hey look <laughs> that shows that it wasn't prepared at least this is live radio you know I have pre prepared that one Um, Let me think about that one. Now, coming back to the earlier question, which was how has social work changed you in general? I can certainly answer that one. The number one thing that social work has done for me is it has given me context to my own petty problems. Look, I I had a difficult childhood. I've had poor parenting, grew up in abject poverty experience significant neglect, um, was doing things that I shouldn't have done as a young man and a teenager. But whilst I thought that kind of made me streetwise and it gave me a bit of an edge and it hardened me to the world, when you see the things that some people go through, when you see the heinous and monstrous things that some parents and carers are capable of doing to their own children, It it changes you, it changes your perception of things and it can contrast with your own life and it can make you incredibly grateful for what you have. And I say that selfishly because it it, maybe it shouldn't, but it does feel a little bit selfish that you see things that shine your own life into context. Now I don't use it in a selfish way. I don't think, oh, I'm better than these people. Or thank God I'm not like them. I use it in a positive way that when I have a minor mishap in my own life, which perhaps before I was a social worker would have seemed like a massive drama, it puts it into context. Uh, And I think you need that in life. I think if, if, if your life has only ever been lived in a comfort zone, and things have never really been that bad. When you have a trifling experience, a difficult experience, because you've never experienced true hardship, that's the only frame of reference you've got. So I'm not blaming people for generating massive problems and massive grievances over petty slights and indifferences and arguments with people and minor fallings out and so on. Because if that's the only context they've got for hardship, well, that must be incredibly hard, because if that's all you've seen, then, yeah, this probably is hard in the in the context of everything. But when you see, you know, when you see, you know, behind the curtain of how life is for many, many people out there and the hardships many, many people face, it can certainly make an ordinary life uh seem very very comfortable in contrast
1: do you find that that's affected your your friendships or your relationships with people that aren't in social work because I know that for me I've ended up ending friendships with people because they just had so much petty drama in their life and I just thought come on this isn't I've just been dealing with I don't know, a, a yeah. horrendous day at work and yeah. I, I've just dealt with someone that's been horrendously sexually abused or something yeah. and then you're moaning that your boyfriend hasn't texted you back or, or something and it, it can be something that's meaningful for them but perhaps you feel it's it more trivial. Do you, have a, Has that impacted on, on your relationships with others?
0: It, it Well, to be perfectly honest with you, Tilly, it significantly impacts on my marriage more than anything. <laughs> I'll be bluntly, <laughs> marriage I, confession
1: time. Yeah, come on, yeah, up. yeah, get, get,
0: <laughs> it's, you know, it's counselling time. Um, no, I mean it's not. It's just nothing too revealing here. But yeah, I've got, I've got to be honest, and I share this because I, you know, other people listening may feel the same, or you know, uh, it may strike a chord with them. So I think it's important when you ask me a question to, to be honest. We're always honest with our listeners. So, um, yeah, um, my wife comes from she probably doesn't see it that way, but in an incredibly privileged background. Um, and I learned, I learned from an early stage in my social work career that I couldn't always use that because I used to overtly say it. So she would get wound up about, as you said there, something that seemed to me incredibly minor. And I would use anonymized examples and I would say, you know, I wouldn't obviously reveal anything, but I'd say, like, I can't believe you're getting wound up about this. You know, just last week I had to take a young child into secure accommodation. You know, two weeks ago I was in a prison. You know, tomorrow I'm going to be visiting a mental health hospital and things like that. So I obviously I didn't say anything that was a disclosure or would give away any confidential information, but I could certainly give context to what I was doing. And that used to upset her because she used to feel like I was belittling and trivializing her problems which you know I reflected on it and I was because at that point I perhaps didn't have the nuance that I've got now which well those were massive problems to her but it' yeah, to this day it it remains an issue because I I can't get depressed and get down and get upset about minor problems that go wrong because I've seen what real hardship is. I see what real hardship is on a daily basis, but she can. So the, the problem I find is that my lack of emotion on these things is seen as indifference and we not caring, which perhaps it is to a certain way, but it's, it's very, very difficult for me to um, get mad about the bin men coming two days late when I have been dealing with an ABE interview where children are disclosing horrific sexual abuse from the mother's boyfriend. Now, that works. For me, I do believe it's made me a lot more content, a lot more relaxed, a lot more stoic in my approach to life, and, and a lot happier. As you've highlighted yourself, though, Tilly, it, it can have a difficult... it. it it can create a difficult dynamic in terms of relationships, whether that's romantic relationships, marriages, friendships. And yeah, I, I've i experienced that and I continue to live with that on a daily basis. It is a difficult thing to manage.
1: Yeah, I think that's really, you've really put that into perspective. I think that's probably something that all social workers struggle yeah. with, as you say, whether it's a partner, whether it's a, a friend, a family member, that anyone outside of our social work bubble might see the world in a very different light to how we see it. Mm. Um, and and on the kind of a, a parallel to that, um, I find it really frustrating when you're having, perhaps in a social context, a, a debate with someone around things like benefits or um, poverty or education or health systems or something and you come across someone that's incredibly narrow-minded and sees the world in a a black and white way that people are the makers of their own fate and and if they work hard they will overcome anything and then we see the other side of that 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 they would never perhaps have ever come across. And, and we have all those contextual layers to our understanding of the world. And that can be, it can be really hard to sort of contain that and not come across as condescending to others. Because um, because we don't want to say that, that we know more than them because we've seen so much more hardship in the world by the nature of our jobs. But at the same time, we have seen a lot more than the average person because social work opens you up to all of what life has to offer. And and we see people at the very worst of their lives. So it's going to impact on the way that you view the world.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's a good point you make there. So um, I obviously grew up on a a council estate. So a lot of my friends are what I would call rough and ready. And obviously, I, I go to boxing, I go to football. So all lads that I do those things with, um, let's put it this way: they're not reading the Guardian. They are not exactly what I would <laughs> call left-leaning or walk people. Okay, they use walk as a they kind of walks an insult. It's like you know, you know, you know the kind of people I'm talking.
1: Yeah, about. I can imagine.
0: And before I was a social worker, obviously, I'd, I'd never join in with anything they said offensive, but. I wouldn't really say anything. Then, yes, since I've become a social worker over the past 10 years, you try and educate people, but you've got to do it. You've got to do it in a sensitive way. Otherwise, I'd, I'd lose all my friends, and I like them. You know, they're, they're not bad people. They're just ignorant. And I don't mean that in a negative way. They're literally ignorant in the dictionary sense. They are ignorant to the realities. You know, they're spoon-fed what's in the media or what they read on social media. They've got no frame of context for anything they're really talking about. They just believe a political narrative. they you know, peddled by certain, you know, right-wing popular figures on Twitter. And yeah, it, 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 can, it can be difficult. On the flip side, um, they do all come to me as soon as they've got any problems with divorces, any problems with child access issues, if they need a letter written to the council so... Yeah, um, I'm the man <laughs> to go to. The amount the amount of times I've had a friend or a friend of a friend come and see me and want me to fill in a C one hundred form to try and get their access to children sorted. I've acted as a Mackenzie friend for people that I know as well. So yeah. A lot of my friends might say Vince has changed, he's not as fun as he once was, but these same people, the straight, the straight to my door when you know, their ex-partners are being difficult with the kids because they write on me for wanting to write a letter or go to court with them, save them a £100 an hour on solicitors fees.
1: Yeah, I completely get that. I mean, I, I have people that come to me for advice around their their parents or, or grandparents care or if they've got a health problem or passport mm-hmm. signing as well ah, um, yes, can sign yes, yes can you sign your passport photos? can you sign your driving license or, or whatever um yeah there's many benefits to being a social worker and and counter important documents is one of them
0: yeah yeah um coming back to the article then um The author makes a point about, um, I think she used the line about like a Pandora's box or something, the fact that sometimes she wishes, you know, she could have seen how life would have been without this. Do you think it's possible to protect your innocence and still be a social worker? Or are there any roles within social work that potentially do not change you as much as others might?
1: Oh, I mean... I don't think you can protect your innocence because I think you see hardship no matter what area of social work you work in. Um, I mean, working in children's services thoroughly destroyed by my by, by innocence. Um, certainly, that child protection role I think is probably you're you're at the forefront of the of all of society's ills, mm. so to speak. Um, but even in in adult services, fostering, and adoption, um, mental health services, any of any of these these other areas of social work, you're always going to cross come across people's problems because otherwise, if everything was fine for them, then chances are you wouldn't be involved.
0: It's a very good point, Elle. <laughs> I, I quite often use that line at work. I'll say, well, you know, because people are going about the jobs being difficult, and I say, well, if our jobs, what do you think our jobs should be? If we didn't have difficult jobs, we wouldn't have a job. That's, you know, social, we're in people's lives because they have difficulties and it's our job to, you know, improve them. That That's what the work is. That's what social work is. Is there is there anything you do, any tips you've learned and anything you can share regarding how you can keep the professional impact of social work from seeping into your personal life? So... Let's say it's a given, as we've established there. Well, me and you think it's a given, but let's extrapolate that and say it just it is a given that social work is going to change you, maybe for the better, maybe for the worse, but it's significantly going to change you. And it can, as we've discussed there, impact on your personal life. Is it possible for social work to change you, but for you to not let that impact in your personal life? What do you do to help differentiate the two and to keep work and life separate?
1: I think it's a skill that you develop the the longer that you're in social work. Um, I think I I became very righteous when I initially qualified as a social worker. And I think it's taken me a longer time to realise that actually just because other people don't see the hardships that others see doesn't mean that their opinions are any less Valid or important, and I think you learn to let things slide perhaps more the, the longer that you're a social worker, because ultimately there's there's no point in in always challenging people's perceptions because if that is their reality, going back to your example of your friends with at the boxing, that no amount of lecturing people is going to change their opinions, um, and actually. I've learned to just keep quiet often and just think well everyone comes at life from a different perspective and that's their reality this is my reality so I think I'm more tolerant in that respect now than I was when I initially qualified. Um, So I think top tips would be keep try and keep those friendships and not just dismiss them as as people that Don't share your same worldviews, because I think it's quite easy to withdraw and become more isolated as a social worker. You and and just kind of stick with fellow social workers or people that are in similar professions. Whereas actually keep your your broad friendship circles and see them for what they are and enjoy your time with them. as always it's the importance of having your colleagues support good supervision reflecting on on what you see and coming to terms with those hardships because it does take a toll on your mental health um seeing abuse and and neglect and poverty on a daily basis and remembering that you're only seeing often the worst of society in your job because as you say that's that's the nature of our jobs. We're there to help people that are are in difficulty. And there are a lot of people that aren't in any difficulty and that's great. Um, We can't help everyone. So um, not letting that cloud your judgment so that that's not the only thing that you see. What are your tips?
0: I simply have very, very firm boundaries in terms of work. Um, I, don't work evenings unless it's independent work It's you know of my choosing and fits around my own diary I would only ever work um an evening or weekend if like it was an emergency you know you're looking at court hearing, in a placement or something like that I don't use my personal phone number for the team whatsapp group so When I turn my work phone on, I get text messages from the team and I get text messages about just like general conversation. When I turn my work phone off, that ends. Um, I used to hate finding text messages of people talking about work, even if it wasn't my own cases. You know, if I'd be like, nine o'clock at night and people are texting in the WhatsApp group about, you know, just getting back from a visit, what's going to be on tomorrow. It's a constant reminder of work. Now people might say it's a very minor low level reminder, but it's still a reminder. Um, So I'm just very, very firm. And I am a time box. My diary is uh, incredibly rigid. You know, I I know when I'm going to be writing my minutes, when I'm going to be doing my visits six months in advance. I, I book out, You know, I have a diary that I use on weekends as well. I block out times when I'm going to be doing things with friends, when I'm going to be doing things with my family. And I am very, very rigid. Now, the flip side to this is when I'm at work, I work, Tilly. You know, in those hours, you know, my allotted hours, and I work exactly the hours that I'm paid for. I never do under. Sometimes occasionally go over, but I always try and work the exact hours. I do work, no distractions, nothing else. I'm not taking personal calls. I'm not doing anything personal. I'm not chatting with people. I'm working. Now, as I've discussed with you before, sometimes that can come across as me being a bit anti-social, and I get that. I don't really see people out of the office. I don't socialize with people out of the office, but that—that that is a price that I'm more than willing to pay, for preserving my own self-care because I've learned that if you don't have those firm boundaries, if you do allow work to keep seeping into your personal life, that is a road to ruin. So that's how I do it. Work is... Work is put in a very rigid box. Kind of ironic given that I'm sat here with you now talking about work, but it's different, you know. <laughs> this, is, this is a chat for the podcast. Um, and and that that's the way that I do it. And that's the way I keep on top of things and, and I'm able to balance things because I have I run to a very, a very finite routine. And, of course, the fact that, you know, I eat well, I sleep well, I meditate, you know. I don't drink, I don't eat any junk food, I don't eat sugar, all the boring stuff that I keep boring everybody else with.
1: Yeah, so uh, just to reassure our listeners, unless you're St. Vince.
0: St. <laughs> ah, <Saint> Vince, <laughs> and, uh, well, I wish, uh, maybe these days.
1: Um, yeah, you don't have to live like that,
0: listeners. No, um, no. I mean, yeah, That's
1: that's a very a very skilled way at managing things I'm much more chaotic with how I I I'm not sure skilled
0: if you if you asked my colleagues I'm pretty sure they would say that I was obtuse aloof anti-social just (laughs) just three terms that might throw at you because I am I just you know uh, my manager loves me at least because I go to work, and I don't work. She gives you something she knows it's going to get done. And that's that's just what I've learned over time. Tell you, as you've said there, look, again, I'll put that disclaimer on too. I'm not saying this will work for everybody, but it it has certainly massively worked for me. And again, that's another reason why the past couple of years in social work has been some of the best I've ever had.
1: Yeah. So in contrast, I don't work like that at all. <laughs> that, that, that thought of time boxing. I think I that would drive me to boredom. I, I'd be so I couldn't stick to it. I'm too um, chaotic in the way I work. I don't really know what I'm doing for most days today. Um I just make it up as I go along and I I mean I'm more boundaried with my time than I was especially well probably going back about a year um when I was working 50 60 hours a week and getting paid for 37 hours but I don't do that so much anymore um but actually I I I will often not take a lunch break or work late or start late sometimes um and be a bit more flexible with my approach I I I have a to-do list but it's kind of uh, in different places and much more chaotic but that's how I've learned that that, that's how I enjoy my job I like to to be like that that's how I, I prefer to work and I do get things done and I do make sure that I'm not missing deadlines and things but um yeah it's much less rigid
0: and I think that's the key, isn't it? It's, it's working out what suits you and what suits your character and skills because I've worked out that that works for me. That, that suits me and I can thrive in my career and personal life because of that. Equally, your situation has been a little bit different. One last question before we finish off. Looking back on how social work has changed you and what it's done to you, would you still have made the same decision all those years ago?
1: hundred percent, yes. If you'd have asked me that maybe five years ago, I would have been on the cusp of leaving social work. But I've come out the other side. And I think normally between sort of... I think midway through your first year as a social worker and probably around about year four or five i think there's a lot of social workers out there that will go through a massive roller coaster where one minute they're enjoying their job and the next they're they're thinking that they need to go and do something else i think if you can get through that period and find the right job for you then you're much more content as a social worker and i feel like i've weathered that storm by now um and, and I couldn't think of doing anything else I, I, I'm i so glad that I stuck with it because it was so close it's that I was so close to leaving um but fortunately I didn't and I'm still here today
0: and the, and the profession is glad of it um I wouldn't have done anything different um I'm, I'm, I'm always I always look back and think I, I, I'm incredibly grateful that I chose to be a social worker and I honestly I, I just couldn't imagine myself doing anything different. Don't get me wrong, I occasionally have daydreams where I think I'd like to be a plumber. Like I see my friend Andy, he's a plumber, or my friend Jason, he's a gardener. And I like the idea of having a trade. You know, I grew up in a in a land where everybody had a trade. You were something, but you were something manual. Um, so I like that I'm something because I'm a social worker. When people say, "What are you?" I, I, I find great pride in saying I'm a social worker. You've got something, haven't you? That's what you are, and and that's the first thing people always ask. You know, what's your name? What do you do for a living? And it's nice to be able to say, "I am this. I am this." But yeah, the the occasional daydreams where I think I'd have liked to be a bit of plumber or a joiner, something like that. But those are. Those are fleeting moments. Those aren't serious thoughts. They're just little daydreams. But no, I I, I I, wouldn't change it for anything. And as I've said, even though social work has changed me, it has changed me certainly for the better.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's one of those jobs, isn't it, that it it completely changes your life. It becomes who you are and part of you. And whilst you should have your boundaries in place so that it doesn't negatively impact, it also it brings a lot of positives with it.
0: But not boundaries that are extreme as mine?
1: No, no. <laughs> there's, there's, you do not have to be like Vince. You don't have to cut out all sugar and fat and salt from your diets and sleep well and time box your diaries. It's okay ju- to go and
0: I did cheat myself over mind. Christmas. I did cheat myself at Christmas i had a flute of books fizz and quarter of a glass of prosecco with my christmas dinner
1: wow pushing the boat out there
0: <laughs> wild times wild times in this land um on that note listeners thank you thank you for being back and uh, yes happy new year as, as tilly said at the start happy new year Welcome to 2023. As always, thank you ever so much for your listens, for your subscriptions, for your likes and so on. As always, you can leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or anywhere else where you get your podcasts in your ears. Um, we will read them out. So if you leave us a review on the show, we're going to start reading them out. So, Try not to be offensive. We might have to bleep some of them out if you are. Um, we'll be back next week. at will be me and Teddy. We don't know what the topic's going to be next, but I'm sure something will come up. Um, but as always, thank you ever so much for listening. Until then, it's goodbye from me.
1: And it's goodbye from me.